2 Samuel chapter number 11 and verse number 1. I'd like actually two portions of Scripture. Let's, let's begin there in 2 Samuel. Then just one verse over in the Song of Solomon. Chapter 2 and verse 15. Song of Solomon 2 and 15. So I'll repeat those again. 2 Samuel 11 and 1. And then Song of Solomon 2 and 15. God's Word, it it reads like this. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbi. But David tarried. David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house. From the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. Now for the sake of little ears, that's as far as we need to read. You know the story. Song of Solomon this evening, chapter number 2, verse number 15. The Song of Solomon 2 and 15, God's Word, it reads like this. Take us the foxes, the little foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. Our vines have tender grapes. I want to speak to us tonight if the Lord had helped me, and I do need His help in this house. I simply want to speak to us this evening on this thought, the little foxes, the little foxes. Would you be so kind to slip your hands and your hearts up to heaven and ask the good Lord to have his way in this house. God, we need you in this house tonight, and I pray in the name of Jesus that you would touch my heart today. Let your word go forth. It will not return void. I'm praying in Jesus' name that you would touch God. Let there be liberty in this house to proclaim truth. Open hearts, God. Open minds and bring those thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let every man and woman, boy and girl, under the sound of my voice, God, may we search our hearts tonight. Deal with us, O God, that we will not be taken away by the little things of this world, but that we would keep our whole heart, God, sanctified, holy. Unto a thrice holy God. For it's in Jesus' name, Jesus' holy name that we do pray. And everyone in God's house said, Amen. You may be seated in God's house. It almost seems like it just doesn't fit. I mean, when you begin to read 2 Samuel, just from the very first chapter on, it just... It just seems like David is on such a roll. It's just bombs bursting in air and everything seems to be going his way. 
Everything seems to be going fine. It's one victory after another victory after another victory. And then we turn to chapter number 11. And everything seems to turn on a dime. It almost just hits you like a gut punch. As if, we, as if we're left saying, where did that come from? How did that even happen? Friend, hear me. When we read 2 Samuel 11 tonight, we are forced to enter in to a hurtful, lascivious sin. One that leads even to premeditated murder. Can I begin tonight by simply saying this? I love David. David is one of my heroes. And I plan on seeing David in heaven one day. In fact, whenever I read 1 Samuel chapter number 11 and the story of David and Bathsheba and what leads up with Uriah the Hittite, I'm stunned, I'm shocked, I still shake my head. I know what's coming, but in my mind I still say this can't be, this cannot be. Because when I think about the man David, I think of a man that's full of bravery. I think of a young man that looks at Goliath and says, you've come against me with these swords and stones, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. I look at a young man that's killed a lion. I look at a young man that's killed a bear. I look at a young man that God is used. He's a man full of bravery. I think of a man full of talent. What a songwriter. What a poet. What an administrator. What a king. What a leader. I think of a man full of humility. He is anointed king. And he goes back and tends sheep. He never struts around saying, look what God's doing in my life. I think of a man that's most noble. I think of a man that even though he could have killed Saul, he's not going to put his hands to God's anointed. When I think of David, I think of a man full of bravery. I think of a man full of talent. I think of a man full of humility, a man full of nobility. Why do you say that, Brother Estes? Because, beloved, under the sound of my voice, every last one of us, there's not a man or woman here tonight that's any more brave or any more talented or any more humble or any more noble than David himself. And it is a reminder of what Paul writes to the Corinthian church when he says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Hallelujah, beloved. Every last one of us ought to look at the story and say, God search me and God examine me and see if I be in the way. Don't let me take it lightly. And we live in a world of sin. We live in a world filled saturated with temptations on every corner. And we better stay prayed up and we better stay full of the Holy Ghost. Can somebody say amen? How could a good man like this fall into such a place? He doesn't carouse with the sons of Belial. He doesn't associate with drunkards. It almost seems impossible for a man to be such a great king and yet do such a thing. But beloved, before we blame everything on fate, perhaps we can look into God's Word tonight and show us some signs, some dents in the armor, some cracks in the hole of that ship that were allowing in some small little things. 
Over in the book of Solomon, Song of Solomon, it speaks about, you know the story, amen, between this beautiful king and his love. It's this message of love between them. But in the midst of that union, in the midst of that relationship, in the midst of that companionship, something is there. It's a vine. It produces this beautiful fruit of grapes. But something comes in and begins to destroy that fruit. Something comes in and begins to destroy that unity, that companionship. And the culprit, it's not a tyrannic wind. It's not a hurricane. It's not an earthquake. It's a little bitty fox. And it is symbolic for you and I tonight to see that it's the little things that can get inside of your soul. And if they're not dealt with, and if they're not prayed through, those little foxes have a way of destroying great vines. It's a picture something that's small that's undealt with and it grows I heard one time son true story of a lady she had a pet python I don't know what gets in some folks she'd feed that thing mice and feed that thing rats and finally it got to the place there's a huge python and it just stopped eating she was so upset why her huge python wouldn't eat anymore that she finally goes to the veterinarian and says, there's a problem. My python will not eat anymore. It kind of puzzles that doctor. He doesn't exactly know what to do or what to respond to that. He says, give me some time to research that and I'll get back with you. Just a few days later, that veterinarian calls her. He's nearly out of breath as he calls her on that phone. He says, I need to ask you a question. Does that python sleep in the same room as you? She said, yes, sir. Sure he does. He stays in the corner, but he always stays right there. He's in the same position position he is when I wake up as when I go to sleep at night and the doctor said wrong he is not while you sleep at night he slips from that corner and he is sizing you up and the reason he's starving himself is he's going to make you his next victim beloved hear me I'm telling you Satan is trying to size you up he's looking you over he's spotting you out you need to run to God you need to lay it his you need to say God touch my soul and let me live in victory if you would have asked David that morning David would you like to wreck your life what are you talking about David would you like to do something it's going to wind up costing you four of your precious own children. No, brother. I don't want anything like that. David, there's some foxes that you're going to have to deal with in your life. Oh, God, help me say it tonight. Listen to what the Scripture says, beloved. It came to pass in the when after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. I dare say in his life, there came a fox of idleness. He should have been working. He should have been going. He should have been there. But he holds back and he's become an idle man. It was a time when the year was expired. That means the harvest season is now in. It was a time when kings go forth to battle. Young man, hear me. There's two fields. 
you're to never leave. Number one, the harvest field. Number two, the battlefield. If you ever leave those two fields, you are tempting the devil to tempt you. I said, if you ever leave those two fields, every day you walk out those doors, every day you wake up, it's the battlefield and the harvest field. It's the battlefield and the harvest. And David said, I'll just sit right here. I'll just stay right here. I'll just hang on back. I'll just let everybody else do my praying for me. I'll just let everybody else press in. Friend, him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. The, pro- the problem is I'm going to have some young person come up to me and they're going to say, oh yeah? Well, you show me in the Bible where it's wrong for David not to tear in. Well, I can't. But here's what I can show you. It's really hard to do wrong if you'll stay busy doing right. And we got folks trying to find loopholes out of this thing. And now listen, I'm not trying to put anything more grievous than well to bear. But I am saying there's some principles that we need to have that says, Lord, I don't want to put myself in a position where I'm going to fall and let down God. Beloved, I heard a man say years ago, he that would not slip ought not walk in slippery places. Don't even get close to it. Don't even play games with it. Don't run to it and run back. You'll never win that game. There's a fox of eyes idleness that can get you in trouble when you have nothing to do. Every sin ultimately is a sin of omission, not simply commission. Because if he were doing what he ought to have been doing, he could not have done what he ought not to have been doing. If David was at war with his men, he wouldn't have been in that position. If David had been on the harvest field, he wouldn't have been in that position. And at even time, David rose from his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. Here it's afternoon and the sun is going down. David finally gets the sleep out of his eyes. Finally decides to walk a little bit and goggle out of bed. Amen, friend, hear me. Here's a man that has nothing to do. Here's a man that gags around all day. Now, yes, there's a time for rest. Yes, there's a time where you need to recoup. But you remember what the proverb said. A little sleep, a little slumber. A little folding of the hands of sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth. Well, I ain't got no job, brother. That's just dear God, go out and do something for free. Just keep yourself busy. Young man, you ain't got nothing to do. Mow your yard. And then go mow your neighbor's yard. Rake their leaves and go rake somebody else's. Whatever you've got to do to keep yourself going. Because I can assure you, if you sit in that house all day, it's just you and some ungodly computer. There's going to be some temptation that comes your way. And Satan's going to get the upper hand. I've heard him make fun of that old song. You know that one, there was a wise old king. He had 10,000 men. What did he do with them, son? He marched them up a hill. What did he do after that? Marched them down again. It was one of the hymnals of the church, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> He'd march them up a hill. He'd march them down again. 
And people laugh and they say, well, that ain't no wise old king. Yes, it is a wise king. He knows he's got 10,000 men out there. He ain't got nothing better to do all day. He better march them up that hill. He better march them back down again. Because if he don't, man, they're going to get in fist fights before dinner time. Say amen to me, somebody. Oh, I'm telling somebody, is there's a fox of idleness out There's a fox of idleness out there. And it's preying on you. You say, well, it ain't a lion. Yes, the fox may not be the lion, but it'll lead you to that lion. You need to get away from it. You need to run from it. You need to see God with all your heart. Say amen. I was in Croatia, Brother Cotto, and we had, had Wednesday night service, and I told some of them young people. And in fact, I, that, that's the scripture I used in Solomon. I said, little foxes, get hold of your victory. You better keep yourself busy, young man, young lady. Well, the next night we had youth prayer meeting. And one of those young ladies at that youth group, Sarah is her name, she came in. Brother Woods, I mean, that girl has got a tray full of cookies. I'm, not, I'm talking about, I mean, it's a nice size youth group, but good. I looked at her and I said, Sister Sarah, I appreciate you cooking cookies, but I didn't expect you to make it for the entire nation of Croatia. I mean, it's, just, it's a mountain of cookies. And she looked at me and she smiled. And then she put down her head and she said, Brother Zane, Today, these cookies kept me from my foxes. These cookies will keep you from us. Are you hearing me tonight? I'm talking to somebody. It's an idleness that's trying to put you in a trap, trying to put you in a rut, trying to put you in a routine. And God, by the grace of God, and God, by the mercy of God, and God, by the spirit of God, is reaching out to you tonight. And he's saying, run from that idleness. Run from that place. Find freedom in the Lord again. David, what are you doing there? Ain't, no, ain't, no ain't no sin in me not going. It may not be a sin, but it may lead you to sin, David. <laughs> it may not, but it may lead you there. And we're living in such a world today. Amen. In the book of Acts, the question was this, what must I do that I might be saved in 2022? The question is now this, what can I do and still be saved? That ought not be your mentality. You ought not to see how close you can get to it. You ought to see how far you can run from it. I've been there, brother. Some of them third world countries, we go, go across those mountain ravines like that. And for whatever reason, every now and again, you would get a driver, hot shot driver, that would try to see how close he could get to that edge. Balance that big old bus. We had one one year, Brother Bill. And I finally just stood up. I said, not funny. Pull it back over. He pulled that thing closer to that mountainside. Friend, can I tell you, when you see how close you can get to the edge and not get burned, all heaven screams, not funny. Not funny. Not funny. 
Because it's going to be one time. You're going to look a little too close to that edge. And before you know it, that fox will have you. I'm trying to help somebody in this house. It'll keep you from a world of regret. It'll keep you from a world of shame. It'll keep you from a world of pain. It'll keep you from a world of soul. If you'll just say, Lord, get every idle fox out of my life. Fill me again with a to-do list longer than my arm. And let me be busy doing the master's business. Can you say me? It's a fox of idols. And everybody's saying, well, where's the black and white? Here's what I know. The less gray areas we have in our life, the less likely we are to sin against God. You show me somebody, and they got a million gray areas, and I'm telling you again, they are tempting the devil to tempt them. There are some things we are not going to do. I'm not saying it's per se wrong in and of itself, but it's going to lead me to a path I don't want to go down. And what one generation may do in modesty, the next generation always doesn't excess. So I don't even want to start a trajectory to go down that road and look back and say, I wish I never would open the door in that area. It was a fox, David, of idleness. It was a fox of carelessness. David's a warrior, but he's now taken off his armor. But that's not what Ephesians 6 and 11 says. The Bible says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Amen. In 2 Timothy 2 and 3, therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, the question begs you and I tonight, why would David take off his armor? Irony of all ironies, it's not because the man lost some battles. It's because the man won so many battles. And sometimes your past victories can be some of your greatest enemies. I've seen them, son. I mean, they're freshmen in Bible school. Here's what they've got. They've got a heart on fire for God. Don't nobody know them. Don't nobody connected with them. But man, you want to talk about seeking God. They do. And man, you let him hit one home run at some camp meeting. And before you know it, man, they puffed up. I mean, they just proud as a peacock and they leave that altar. Now, friend, it was the victory, ironically, that led to their defeat. Amen. It was because they were so proud of winning and no longer can they win anymore. I'm glad God's blessed you with some victories. But, beloved, you can't lean on that. The devil's fighting you now. The devil's fighting you today. Old David looks on that boy and says, Ammonites, five, check. House of Saul, check. Woo, we on a roll. I tell you what, man, we're just knocking this thing out. Our numbers are higher than they've ever been. Our income is greater than... Let me take this helmet off. Let me take this off. Man, that's not even as hard. After all, look at all the victories we've got. He steps back and says, oh, that's right. You keep believing your own press. You're better than you've ever been. You're greater than you've ever been. It's higher than it's ever been. 
Now take an easy road, why don't you? Just step back and let those young people pray for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And just talk about things in the back of the church that ain't got nothing to do with the house of God. That's a trick of the enemy. And it's carelessness, beloved. Hear me. We are still in a battle. We're still in a I'm glad for every victory we've had. I'm glad for what the Lord did last night. I'm glad for God filling you with the Holy Ghost last night. But you need it today. You need it tomorrow. You need it. Oh, you hearing me? Amen. We need to say thank you for what you've done. But I'm fighting battles now David has so many victories he starts taking victory for granted and he presumes it's always going to be there I mean after all every time we ever sung page 130 before power of God fail every time we've ever sung page 180 before power of God fail Hear me, friend. There's no such thing as a free service. Satan will fight every service. Satan will fight every message. He'll fight every altar call. He'll fight every witnessing opportunity. He'll fight every camp meeting and every evangelistic campaign. I'm glad for past victories. But David, you need to shake yourself and see that you're in a war now, David. There's wars ahead. It ain't time to take off the armor. It ain't time to sit on easy street. One day you and I are going to rest. But it's when we go on the other side of Jordan. But now we're going to endure hardness as a good soldier. Can somebody give him praise? Ironically, David doesn't fall because he's too weak. David falls because he's too strong. Friend, hear me. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. It's the unguarded. I mean, think of it. What is David known for? His integrity. David is the man that says, I'll put no, I'll set no wicked thing before me. I ain't even bringing it in my house. I'm not letting my ears open. I'm not letting my eyes open. He is a man that is known for his integrity. Where does David fall? It's not the area that you know you're weak in. It's the area that you're just so sure you got whooped. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one Satan got. <laughs> Tell you what. I'm, 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 I'm so I heard of a young preacher one time. I, I wouldn't say his name. Maybe some of us would know it. It wouldn't embarrass him. Brother Prescott, surely you wouldn't remember his name. But man, I mean, he's a 24, 25-year-old kid. He's preaching Monday night at Bristow, Kent meeting, Oklahoma. Shoots up like a rocket in our movement. Falls like a rock. I was preaching for a pastor that was, he, he, he had that young man in a revival. There was another camp meeting close by. And he said, listen, the other camp meeting said, we don't have our day speaker. Can your, can your evangelist come by and preach the mornings of this camp meeting? I don't know him, but everybody's told me about him, and I trust you. And he was, sure, I'll talk to him. And sure, sure enough, he was able to go over there and preach that. And now I'm telling you, that preacher told me that boy knocked it out of the ballpark. Woo! It was amazing. And on the last day there, he said there was an elderly gentleman. He's kind of more like the father over that camp meeting. And he pointed his finger at that young man and said, God's about to open a door for you, son. 
It's going to be a huge door. It's going to be a glorious. And it goes on and on about how God's going to move. And at the very end, he says, but you better stay humble. That preacher told me, he said, Brother Estes, for one hour I drive back to that, that, that place where we're preaching with that evangelist. And for 55 minutes, all he's talking about was everything God's going to do for him. Finally, he said, we pulled in that parking lot of that church. I looked back at that young preacher and I said, but what about that last thing that preacher said? He said, what last thing? When he looked at you and said, you better stay humble. And that young preacher looked back at the older preacher and said, I ain't even worried about that. I am. You need to be. Let me tell you, Paul says, I don't put any confidence in this old flesh. Somebody said, well, you know, brother, says, my flesh is so much better than my flesh used to be. No, your flesh ain't one ounce of one iota. Ain't it better than it's ever been? It is still an old man. It is still in a damning nature. It is still contrary to the law of God. You still got to pray through and crucify him daily. Can somebody say amen? You know what Peter's known for? His courage. I'm telling you, that's a bold man. He's bad to the bone. He knows he's strong in this area. He is so awesome. He's got so much courage. And man, he looks over, picks up a sword, rears back, and slices an ear off a Roman soldier. Now, there's a miracle that takes place right there. Oh, I know, brother. That, that's when the Lord heals Malchus's ear and heals. That's one miracle. The second miracle, it's not just the fact that the Lord put an ear back on a man. It's that the Lord kept every one of them soldiers from taking off Peter's head. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, you mess with us. You're dead. No, God's miracle steps. Peter says, oh, yeah, I know I've got courage. But the time comes. He's warming his hands, and all of a sudden, a little girl looks at him and says, I think I know you. You're one of his. I don't know. I don't know. You don't. And the man said, you're one of his. I hear that accent. I've seen you in that yard. You walk side by side. I don't know. He begins to curse and begins to deny him. A thing that that man would have never guessed. I'm talking to somebody tonight. It's not his weakness. It is his unguarded strength. It's the area that he just knows beyond a shadow of a doubt. There'll never be a problem there. It'll never come up. Beloved, you don't know how wicked that old nature is. You pray it. Not only do you need God protect me in my weaknesses, you need to pray, God, guard me in my strength. Guard me in the areas that I think I got licks. Amen. God, I want you to help me. I want you to help us in our weaknesses. But God, we would be fools to pretend as if we got this area over here locked down, never need a prayer over again. And David becomes careless. And an unguarded strength becomes a double weakness. I'm closing. It was a fox of idleness. 
It was a fox of carelessness. It was a fox of impulsiveness. He doesn't think. He just acts. He doesn't consider consequences. He just makes a move. David, you plan on doing that? No. David, what's going to happen if you do that? I don't know. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And I'm sorry. But there are some men. I'm not saying God can't show mercy. But they'll never get up in our pulpits again. Help me, Lord. My heart breaks. And at the end of the day, I've got to remind them, it was you that made the move. It was you that made the choice. And hear me, fires of lust that began to rage through his body explode with an impulsiveness of sin. Now there's a hot-blooded sin against Bathsheba, but as you read that story, you find there's a cold-blooded sin against Uriah. I wrote this down years ago. One man wrote it and said it like this, sin often is a combination of these three. Are you listening to me tonight? Number one, an undetected weakness. Number two, an unexpected opportunity. Number three, an unprotected life. An undetected weakness. An unexpected opportunity. An unprotected life. That's the reason. You pray through every day. That's the reason you seek the full armor of God every day. Because he is a patient devil indeed. And friend, he has a long-term strategy as well as a short-term strategy for your life. He may not always get you with the short-term, but he's looking for the long game. Friend, can I tell you, a man preached years ago trophies in the hallways of hell where he took you down to the corridors and showed you men that didn't spend their life on a bar stool, didn't spend their life with a heroin needle in their arm, but men that sat on pews like these, men that heard messages like these, men that sang songs like these, but yet because of an undetected weakness and an unexpected opportunity and an unprotected life, they fell out by the wayside and never found their way back to the sheepfold. He didn't plan on it, and I'm closing. And maybe you haven't either. But I'm asking somebody tonight, are there some little foxes that are starting to weave their way into your heart? Are there some little foxes that are starting to weave their way closer to you? Don't pet them. Destroy them. I, t- I told the congregation, I think it was last night there in Vietnam, as you would see every morning in those little Buddhist temple or boot anywhere there's a Buddha. Every day they get up and they give him tea leaves and rice and sugar. And of course, that's something for him to eat and drink and something to make it sweet with and all that. But as I studied and I looked at that little Buddha, I said, Isn't that just like an idol? 
If you're going to have an idol in your life, I promise you this, you must continually feed it. If you won't let go of your idol, you're going to have to feed that. In fact, you will have to feed it when you don't want to feed that thing. It'll wake you up in the middle of the night and say, it's time for you to feed me. And you'll say, no, not now. He'll say, no, now. And you'll be subjugated to the whims of your idol. Can I tell you, you don't have to have an idol. You don't have to feed that thing whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And you can find the mercy and you can find the grace and you can find the goodness of the Lord. Can Somebody give him praise. I believe, I believe God's brought a preacher by tonight. Not to try to tear you down, but to try to lift you up. And let somebody know you don't have to live with little foxes. In your life. You can have freedom. You can breathe freely. You can take the idol. And cast it away. And lift up holy hands to heaven. And say God I'm tired of feeding that thing. I'm tired of serving that thing. I would rather walk in freedom with my Savior. David. David. Idleness, carelessness, impulsiveness will lead to something you'll always regret. You can start any time you'd like, Sister Hastings. I heard years ago, Brother Austin, there was a there was a young boy in, way back in the 1930s. He's on that street corner selling newspapers. Those boys that cry out, you know, 10 cents, read all about it, extra, extra, read all about it. 10 cents, extra, extra, read all about it. There was a man that walked up to that young boy and he looked at him and said, I tell you what, son, let's gamble for this. We'll flip this dime, and if I win, I get that paper for free. And if you win, you get to keep the dime and your paper. And the little boy looked up at the man. He said, no, sir, no, no, sir, I won't do that. He said, I tell you what, son, I'll make it a quarter. That's a lot of money for a little boy in the 1930s. If I flip this thing and you win, you keep the quarter for free. If not, I get the paper for free. And again, the little boy says, no, sir, no, I can't do that, sir. Man gets up to 40 cents, 50 cents, gets up to 75 cents. That's your truckload of money for a little boy in 1930. Finally, Brother Michael gets up to a whole dollar. Says, I'll flip you for it, son. If you win, the whole dollar's yours. All I want is that paper for free if I win. Crowds around that young boy, and they're all chanting, Do it, do it, do it, do it. Flip him, do it, flip him, flip him, do it, do it, do it, do it. And finally the little boy looks up and he says, No, 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 I won't, I won't do it. I will, I'll not do it. You could hear the, all the people, the audience, they go, Ugh. 
and they slowly begin to walk away, Brother Messer. One by one they walk away, but not that wealthy man willing to gamble over that paper. When that crowd finally dissipates, he looks at that young boy and he says, Son, why wouldn't you flip me for that paper? And the story says the young man looked up at the elder gentleman and said, Sir, I just can't afford to lose. <laughs> I'm talking to somebody you cannot afford to lose. You can't afford to lose it. You can't afford to go down that road. You can't afford to make that turn. You can't afford to go down that valley. You can't afford to make that dent. Say man. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It goes on in verse 13 to says, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There comes a time where a man can go down a road so long that he don't even bother him anymore. Don't even think about it. It's a time that keep him up all night. But he stays down that path and his heart becomes hardened. I'm trying to close life. <coughs> I met a man in Florida. Thomas was his name. I asked Thomas, I said, what do you do? And he said, well, you, my job, his, true story, his job he was the guy that would go in there and clean out those porta potties. He'd, he'd shower it down from top to bottom. He said, Now, when I first got that job, he said, If an ounce, if a drop of that water ever back, backsplashed on me, he said, I'd, I'd turn around and I'd nearly throw up. His words, Brother Brown, he said, I've done that so long now. He said, Man, I can spray down one of those portable toilets. He said, I can spray one hand. He said, I can eat a wine ham sandwich and white bread in the next and never think a thing of it. I said, my God. Hey, friend. Things that used to turn your stomach no longer turned your eye. I'm telling you, there's a graceful God. There's a merciful God. There's a loving God. Says you don't have to live with little foxes. Right. 